1: and get 10% off your plan.
2: I think there are really two main things that Clorox has focused on in terms of embedding e-com into the broader enterprise. One was around structure, and then the other that I'll talk about a little bit is around building a common language. And so on the structure side, I don't think we did it terribly differently than others. I think we just leaned in earlier and deeper. And so we built an e-com team really early on and put a lot of resourcing behind that team.
3: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm
4: Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, you've been going around the country, maybe the world, with your e-commerce maturity curve, plotting where brands fall. Who falls at the top of your
3: curve? Falls at the top. I thought you were going to go with falls to the bottom. And I'm like, oh, crap. I can't, I can't, like, make my clients look bad. <laughs> then again, I can't really pick a favorite because i pick like a favorite. Then they're like, how come you didn't pick me? But the truth is that like, you could kind of be further ahead of the maturity curve if your market is more advanced and consumers are shopping online more in certain markets versus others. So a lot of it is situational, I guess. And so much of it, Rachel, and I know you know this, and and we certainly hear it from so many of our fabulous guests. It all starts with the leadership and how you get the organization on board, right? And when it comes to leadership, I think one of the common themes that we're seeing is that the
4: organizations that fall at the top of the curve, though you won't release who it is, often have... Individuals who've been on the retail side as well as the brand supplier side.
3: Yeah, because it takes a tremendous amount of empathy to be successful at integrating capabilities that are a little bit more foreign relative to traditional brick and mortar ways of working. We saw the same thing with digital, we saw the same thing with social, and we see this now with commerce that if you get somebody who speaks the multiple languages, and can empathize with all of the different players in the equation, then they can also figure out how to be basically a master translator.
4: Well, we have someone who is a master translator who's about to come onto the show, another Sarah, this one who works at Clorox. And Sarah puts together this incredible framework of why she believes that Clorox is the head of the curve in terms of e-commerce adoption. And it comes down to her three A's, which is assortment, availability, and activation. And on that note, let's bring Sarah onto the show. Thanks for having me. I'm the Sarah without an H.
3: I feel like that's been the story of my life. Are you Sarah with an H? (laughs) Sarah without an H. It's uh, the fact that I address that probably on a regular basis. One of the many things we have in common. Yes. Let's give the audience a little bit of background on you. You come not from an e-commerce background, which I have to say, getting to know you over a period of time, that non-e-commerce background is the part that I think makes you such an incredible partner and client because you're thinking more holistically, but let's hear a little bit more about your career journey and what gets you excited about this relatively newer addition of e-commerce to the multitude of your responsibilities at the Clorox company.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think based on some of the conversations about age, Sarah, you and I might be about the same age. So when we started our careers, e-commerce wasn't a thing at all. So I started my career actually in marketing in the CPG world at 3M. I was in uh, marketing strategy and then I was a traditional brand manager. So I have a marketing background at a large Fortune 500 company, but I moved to Target and I feel like a lot of my current Interests and experiences come from that period when I was at Target, which truly was also pre-ecom, where Target.com still operated very independently from Target stores. But I led several different teams within core merchandising, what they call core merchandising, which at the time really just meant the physical store. My last role after a a stint in the pricing team was leading the buying team over household paper and plastic. So a really big traditional commodities-based business at Target, which was interesting. But then I took the leap and jumped over to Clorox about six years ago, and it was right during that period when Target was probably the first major, at least, mass retailer that merged their physical and digital buying into one team. And so I was actually a traditional sales lead during that period and had to figure out what it really meant for a buyer to be buying both physical and digital. It was interesting because their vision was, I think, now obvious to all of us that that's where the puck was going, but at the time, not everyone agreed. So it was a little bit challenging to lean in in this space during that period, but it was fascinating to me. So I think that to your point, this background in a running traditional businesses and then embracing omni-channel early and trying to figure it out has been one of the ways that I've been able to differentiate myself in helping our leaders that are still managing in a lot of cases, very traditional businesses, embrace the e and the digital space in a way that feels really relevant to them. And what's exciting to me is I love figuring things out. So I'm that person that when I get something new, like before I even open the instruction manual, I like try to figure it out on my own. And then if I get stuck, then I go to the instruction manual. But I love the idea that there is no playbook for the digital ecom space. And even as you start to get common practices or rules of thumb, it just seems to evolve and mature and change. And that just really energizes me. I also really love working with cross-functional teams and developing strong partnerships. And in the e-com space, that is imperative. Whereas before, you could probably get pretty far working within your functional silo. Now you just have to break down those barriers, both within your organization and with your retail partners in order to drive success. And that really energizes me is leading through that cross-functional lens.
3: How good are you at building Ikea furniture? (laughs) She's a task rabbit. That's her side hustle. She's a task rabbit.
2: (laughs) I have built Ikea furniture. Their instructions are so unique. So I do like their instruction manuals compared
4: to others. It's true.
1: Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
4: I love that you have such a strong background and, you know, the buying merchandising side. Last night, I had drinks with a person that we've interviewed on the show, Kevin Shapiro of Cody. And similar to him, like that sort of sales merchandising background creates such tremendous success when you move to the CPG side. Sarah and I have both in some capacity been talking, working with Clorox over the years, and it's so clear that e-commerce has become more embedded in the organization. And in our minds, Clorox is further along on the maturity curve than perhaps some of the others in the competitive set. Did you feel the organization got there because of your merchandising buying background, or is there something else that's allowed the company to really succeed? And how would you advise others to get there?
2: I think there are really two main things that Clorox has focused on in terms of embedding e-com into the broader enterprise. One was around structure. And then the other that I'll talk about a little bit is around building a common language. And so on the structure side, I don't think we did it terribly differently than others. I think we just leaned in earlier and deeper. And so we built an e-com team really early on and put a lot of resourcing behind that team. When you have a standalone team like that, you can get pretty far pretty fast, but what it doesn't allow for is a great transition into embedding it deeper into the organization. So a couple of years ago, we noticed that we had some really talented people with deep knowledge and skill sets, but it wasn't really translating into the broader, more traditional customer teams, for example. And so we restructured a couple of years ago, again, probably in advance of some other companies into creating a selling team that looks very similar for our pure play customers, similar to our traditional brick and mortar customers. But then we pulled a group of thought leaders out into an omni accelerator, and it's really taking that enterprise view. So truly cross-functional, and they're focused on both embedding strategies and concepts into traditional teams by working with them in, in sprints and making sure that they're building their plans through an anomaly lens. And then they're also kind of keeping their eye on where the puck is headed from a digital space. So that's the structure side. And like I said, it's probably not terribly different than other companies, but I think that we saw how important it was and went early on both leaning in and then figuring out how to evolve it into something that can be carried forward and drive growth. The common language side is where I actually have gotten really involved in shaping how we talk about digital and e-comm one of the things that we realized was that there were two sets of language when we talked about business planning. There was the traditional four Ps, and then we tried to layer on what that would mean in an omni world. And so you ended up with competing frameworks, people using terms like digital shelf. And depending on who you talked to, it meant like 10 different things. Or saying something like, Omni assortment, and that actually meant digital assortment. And so we decided that one of the things that was going to really help advance the company was taking a step back and blowing up our old frameworks, getting rid of our old language, and trying to get a unified set of language that was pretty two by four. And so it's not that different, it's not rocket science, but we focused instead of around the four Ps, around what we call the three A's. And so it simplifies and focuses around availability, assortment, and activation. And then within that, there's an expectation that there are sometimes physical, sometimes digital, but always an omni mindset when you're planning around those three A's. And we rolled it out about a year ago. And I think it's really helped people get away from this idea of I'm doing my planning and then I'm doing my omni planning. Nope. It's one plan focused on these three A's around shopper experience. Are those three
4: A's in priority order?
2: No. And in fact, I would say when you dive into the planning process, they're so interconnected. So, for example, in availability, that's the one that probably was the biggest mindset shift for our company because availability includes the physical shelf and our shelf presence in the store our digital shelf, but really focused around that organic search presence, and then fulfillment choices and strategies. And so it's very cross-functional in nature, but it's also very reliant on other A's in order to be successful. So when I think about search, organic search, you can buy paid search and and get the results you're looking for by spending more money. But how do you really drive organic search that requires that you pull in from both of the other A's, specifically content, making sure that your content looks good, which is tied really closely to assortment, that your activation strategy is really in lockstep with your goals around organic search so that you're not just buying your results.
3: You talked about a common vernacular. And I think that the common vernacular is so critical. Measurement and KPIs is also something that people can unify around because, like, either you're hitting it or you're not hitting it. And the conversations that you and I have had over an extended period of time have really lended themselves to trying to figure out how do you not boil the ocean with numbers? How do you focus people on the things that actually are going to matter? And what I have long appreciated about working with you is making sure that we're not measuring stuff that doesn't matter because those tripwires are everywhere. So as you sit in the nucleus with analytics being a big part of your job, how do you define which metrics matter and what you even need? Like how much time do you and I talk about what you actually need versus what is possible in the grand scheme of the world?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question and something I think about a lot in my role when you take a step back and you think about what, why do we even have KPIs, one of the main reasons is to understand how we're doing, what's the health of our business. The other is to understand how is our business going to be performing in the future based on the things we're doing today. So it should be really focused on driving specific behaviors. And it should be aligned around, are those behaviors enhancing the shopping experience? And are they unlocking growth for us and our business partners? And so when you really anchor on those elements of what are the behaviors that this is going to drive if we actually shine a light on it? And is it unlocking growth and optimizing that growth is how, how we think about it. One of the jokes that I love to bring up when we talk about KPIs is the streetlight effect. You've heard that joke about the drunk who's looking for his keys or his wallet under the streetlight and the police officer comes to help him and they look for a while. And finally, the police officer says, are you sure you lost your keys here? And he said, no, I lost them in the park. And he said, well, why are we looking here? And he said, well, this is where the light is. And so I think we have this challenge of it as an industry of figuring out how to shine a light on the things that matter and making sure that our actions and activities are actually driving the behaviors and the growth that we're looking for. We separate our KPIs into leading and lagging indicators. And when you think about both of them, there's that risk of the streetlight effect. So um, I'm going to talk for a second about Lagging indicators. So those would be your traditional health metrics like share, consumption, shipment volume. When you think about share, you can only easily measure share in our industry and tracked channels. If you shine a light on just our tracked channels, you lose sight of a lot, if not most of the growth in our industry today. And so we put a lot of effort into trying to make sure that we're actually understanding what does our share look like holistically, which is challenging. It's very difficult.
3: When you say share, is that like digitally influenced sales or that's just share with the Omni retailer overall? Like you're saying something so incredibly important especially in light of that joke, which I very much like, and I will definitely reuse. But help me understand when you're saying share, what do you mean? So we're just talking about simple share of category.
2: Our brand's growing within our categories and our categories growing within the broader market. And when you just focus on traditional tracked channels, you can get a skewed view of our health and To the point about behavior, if we think that our opportunity is coming from just tracked channels, we lose sight of where the biggest growth opportunities sit. And then on the leading indicator side, we really put a lot of effort into making sure that the KPIs we track align to the three A's. And so that ensures that when we're building our business plans, and we're focusing on driving those insights that matter to shoppers, that we have a framework that ensures we're not just measuring things that can be measured. We're measuring things that are going to align up to our activation plans, our assortment planning, or our availability efforts. So
4: we probably could talk to you about share, consumption, and shipping forever, but sadly, we have to ask you our famous Last question, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Well, I was
2: thinking about this and it's either the bravest or the most foolhardy. And it goes all the way back to when I was in high school. I decided I wanted to be a foreign exchange student. And remember, I mentioned that I don't like having instructions or following a a playbook. I ended up developing my own exchange program Where I stayed with a family for five months in southern Germany. I didn't know the family. I didn't go through an organization. I just figured it out. I spent an amazing part of my junior year of high school and I think it really kind of set the tone for the rest of my life, really, frankly, so.
4: I hope that German family and you are still in touch and they can see all of the incredible success that you've been driving at Clorox. And we're so appreciative for your time. Thank you. It was great being here. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify
3: and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend.
1: Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to ViralGrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
2: Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights, and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you
3: listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.